from Cambridge 105 Radio, this is The Business of Cambridge with Sue Keogh. Series 2, Episode 3, Resilience, is brought to you in association with our friends at CMR, Outside the Box Business Thinking. Hello and welcome to The Business of Cambridge. Coming up later, John Bridge from the Chamber of Commerce tells us how local businesses are faring now Brexit has become a reality. But first, we have two incredible tales of resilience, which I've witnessed up close. Two business owners who are bouncing back from a major fire, flood, and of course, a pandemic. Dawn Lamb from Elite Fitness in Ely opened the doors to her new gym three weeks before the first lockdown. And Angina Tanks Optometrists had to be completely rebuilt after the Mill Road fire in July 2019. I wanted to hear their stories and find out when you keep getting locked down like this, how do you keep on getting back up? Dawn, Tell me, how many days over the last year have you actually been able to open as a gym? Within the last year, we've actually had the doors open for four months and 15 days in total. Yeah, not quite the plan that you had in January that year. (laughs) Well, no, we had to move to this new premises as well. So the move itself costs a lot of money. So to be open for actually 15 days in total was really hard. Yeah, it's, it's tough, isn't it? So I'm going to ask you about that in more detail shortly. But first, Angina, take me back to that July when there was a massive fire next door to you at G's Electrical Shop. And it's something that I lived through myself because my own business is right next door to yours. So the first I knew of it was a WhatsApp message from another 105 presenter who was on the scene saying, Sue, I think your building's burning down. which is quite difficult to receive. And I looked at the picture and honestly, my first thought was that there'd been some kind of terrorist attack. So there were 92 firefighters on the scene, 19 fire engines, the night sky was completely lit up. So tell me about that moment for you. When did you hear that there was a major fire at the premises? We weren't actually in town when it happened. We were about an hour and a half away. Um, We had an event the next day. So that's why we were out of Cambridge. And the first I heard of it was uh, what's that message, a bit like you, from somebody I knew who'd seen it on Twitter and said that there was a fire next door at Mr G's and is your shop okay? So yes, I mean, it was quite devastating, but I, I don't think that I really was able to comprehend what was going on at the time. How soon did you get there yourself then if you were not on the scene at the time? Uh, we didn't get there till it's gone one o'clock in the morning, and by that time, it was it was just very difficult to describe. There were firefighters everywhere. There was chaos. There were people who were having to leave their properties. There were people in pajamas, babies crying. There was actually one of the tenants along the shops, and they had to come out of their flat, and they had a very young baby. Um, it was horrible. And when did it dawn on you the extent of the damage to your own building? Well, it was actually difficult to see the extent of the building. There was so much smoke and there was fire still coming out of Mr G's property. Um, So it was actually very difficult to see what kind of damage had happened and the firefighters wouldn't let us anywhere near. And then the firefighters broke in and started hosing down our building. And at that point, I knew that it was going to be serious because... They'd actually put holes in the roof, they'd broken the windows just to try and contain the fire. So I knew that the the damage would be very extensive. So it must have hit you at some point that you weren't going to get in for several months or or even longer. So what was the solution that you came up with? We had to really think fast 
about how we were going to come up with a solution. We really only had two options um, to move locations and try and open temporary premises somewhere else or bring the practice to our location because we had a, a car park in the rear and some space and we could push a pop-up a temporary building in place so we were looking at both options side by side just to see what's going to be the most cost effective and more importantly you know what's going to work where are people going to be able to find us and we decided really that the pop-up was the best option we belong in Mill Road we have the space to do it it's not uncommon for healthcare professionals to use temporary premises like this so it's been done before but not necessarily in an optician's so yeah that's what we decided it was certainly the fastest option because it meant that porter cabin could crane in something bespoke for us and then we would be able to furnish it and be up and running and be able to see our clients so and you had lovely astroturf outside as well didn't you yes (laughs) yes I mean that homely feel People have said to us it's the best pop-up that they've ever seen um, because inside we furnished it really nicely. We put some AstroTurf outside. We branded the whole Porsche cabin with a wrap with our logo and design. So we had all of that made and it was very comfortable. We had air conditioning, so it worked beautifully well. Actually, it was a very, very good solution. Uh, Sounds very... very swish. Okay, <laughs> so let me go over to you, Dawn. So I first started coming to your fitness classes and boot camps about five years ago. And this is what made me think of the AstroTurf. So this is all held outside rugby pitches and church halls. Can you tell me a bit more about the ethos with your business, the style of training that you offer? Yes, of course. Obviously, when you joined me five years ago, I was hiring different venues and using the local rugby club to um, use the AstroTurf there. But it was becoming more apparent each week that there was um, booking problems and general obstacles in the way that was making it very difficult. And I've always wanted my own premises. So um, I invested into looking around and finding, which I thought at the time was the suitable building. We had to convert an office block into a two-storey fitness place um, with two studios and a gym. So that was the original vision and dream. And um, we slowly started to move the boot camps across to the little car park that we had. And I was really focusing on the group training, getting to know my clients. I didn't want to just be a gym where you kind of walked in and I didn't understand your journey. I wanted to be offering the group training and a small gym attached with that that I could also help you with your goals and you know it is still the vision today but um, we've had to adjust quite a bit on the way to get to where we are now. And what were the challenges in this building that you moved into? So you said it was an office block what were the challenges there that led you to find another location sometime after? Well when we first moved into the building as I said it was an office block and we had to spend an obscene amount of money myself and my husband tried to do most of the work but and we had clients helping as well which was fantastic but it, you know, with the time ticking and the rent starting to um, take place, we had to get additional help in and pay for builders, which you know really started to add up. Um, so it set us back quite a little bit with with the money situation, and we were struggling with the cost of actually start up. And then it wasn't that long after that we had another large gym come to Ely, and it kind of changed our business model completely. Then um, I couldn't be in competition with the gym anymore. So I had to try and convert to group training only 
but it then became apparent that the building actually wasn't suited for this. It was quite an old building and therefore we had quite a lot of condensation and also the size of the building, you know, to have that many people come in to help, you know, with the startup debt and trying to make a living, it wasn't big enough. So we had to start looking around for an alternative um, solution. And that's where I kind of found the unit at Lancaster Way. And just tell me about that first month when you opened the doors and those kind of key moments that must be sticking in your memory. You know, the first month was so fantastic. You know, the vision was there. We were going to be a group training facility. I was going to offer different classes through the day. It was big, spacious. We had a great big vision. And then, as I said, we only opened for 15 days and we were forced to close the doors on the unit. And then that's when we had to kind of sit down and think about how we're going to move forward when we were allowed to reopen. And then the rain came down as well. We did, yes. <laughs> In the first Honestly, lockdown. it's one thing after another, isn't it? It was really funny because that same day I had a client message me to say you could ride this storm and it was a serious, you know, storm that I did ride um, because we did literally have the most amount of rain in one hour that I've ever witnessed and my husband was actually down at the unit at the time and he was in the front office and he was trying to paint the room and he just thought he'd close the window because the rain was coming in so hard and... um, don't know what made him do it, but he went into the actual unit itself. And the only way to describe it was part of the Titanic scene. There was things just floating. And it's really hard to visualise how bad it was. But the gym floor tiles, which are really heavy, were floating. And the astroturf inside had blown. And there was lots of equipment that actually was material, which was like sandbags and plyometric boxes that were all damaged in the flood so it was a heartbreaking at that point. You're listening to the Business of Cambridge and today we're hearing tales of resilience from Dawn Lamb from Elite Fitness and Angina from Tank Optometrists. All this and we haven't even got to the pandemic yet so um, Angina tell me about the impact on your business. You must have had to close or people have had problems coming to you and finding you. Just tell me how this situation has been for you. Well, initially, at the first lockdown, we were closed um, and we were working remotely. So we were having to do as much as we could do via phone, video, email, having to try and provide healthcare for people without doing face-to-face consultations. And that was really, really difficult for us. Our work is so face-to-face where we're having to use machinery and instruments in order to be able to check people it was it was virtually impossible to do virtually and we were really pleased to be able to come back to work in June Um, we were in the pop-up so it did mean that we had to make that COVID friendly which was challenging in itself and we just operated a a one-in one-out policy had the windows open for ventilation reduced the number of staff and just made it work and it and it did work and we kept people safe and we made sure that we were following all the protocols all the guidelines being very strict about the measures and we just carried on and actually my whole team will tell you that they were really pleased to come back because it's what we do and um, we, we just couldn't do it remotely. And Dawn, how about with you? What's it been like trying to keep momentum going when you've had all of these forced closures? It's really difficult. You know, you do your business plan, but you never plan for a pandemic. 
So, you know, we switched as, as well online as quick as we could. It's not the same, you know, we have a lot of equipment in the gym and we enjoy using the equipment with our clients. So we had to quickly think we had literally 24 hours to switch everything online and um, start coming up with ideas on how we could keep everybody motivated because we didn't reopen until the August. So it was quite a long time to think about how we were going to help our clients. We did in the first lockdown um, have clients come in and take equipment home. We opened the doors and we had an um, appointment system where they came in and collected a piece of equipment and uh, signed it out. And we moved forward that way and helped as many clients as we can. And what about with you, Angina? Have you had any moments where it's just felt completely overwhelming, like there's too much on your shoulders to carry because you've got the team to think about, you've got all of the changes that are happening all the time with lockdown, and then you're overseeing this building project as well? I think it's fair to say that we've certainly been very challenged over the last few months. I think we've had a lot to deal with as a team and also on a on a personal level. And it has been quite tiring more than anything. And what I've had to do really is just prioritise and work out what it is that needs to be done first and deal with that and then move on to the next thing. And, my, you know, I've just had long, long lists of things that I've had to do and tick off and that's how I've have been able to manage really I don't think there was any room for us to be overwhelmed because we had too much to do and we had to prioritize our clients and rebuilding and also running the pop-up so unfortunately there was no room to be overwhelmed we just had to get on with it. How about coping strategies with you Dawn? So you must have had some pretty low moments how have you kept smiling? Well, it's my job to actually, you can have your pity parties offline, but while we was online, I had to kind of convince you guys that everything was going to be okay. And after the first lockdown, you know, it was okay. We were, you know, open the doors and we managed to welcome you back. But it's very hard when you're forced to close your business. You know, there isn't time to actually sit and dwell on it too much. You have to keep sitting there thinking about a way of, how it's going to work, how you're going to be able to make, you know, the business move forward. An easier thing to do would be to turn around and say, I can't do this and, and to close. But um, I wouldn't want to live with that regret. I'd like to every day wake up and sort of make the effort and say that I've tried my best. So I think that's just kept me going, just to wake up each day and look at my little list and say, right, today this is the priority and to try and tick my list each day and take each day as it comes. You know, you can't look onto the following month. Nobody can. I think day by day is the way forward um, in our situation. And what about your support network? So you've been doing an amazing job of supporting others with their physical and mental health, but but who's supporting you? My husband. <laughs> um, it, it's got to be my husband. I, I I don't have um, anyone that I could actually sit and talk to about it. I wouldn't want to burden too much with my family with it. But um, my husband, you know, he's in the business with me. We understand what, what we're going through. I haven't got to come home and explain my situation. He knows if I don't say anything, he knows how I feel and vice versa. And, you know, all we can do is keep coming up with a, a plan, try it if it doesn't work go back to the drawing board and, and try something else you know that that is all we can do and also you know I have days where it's quite bad and it's quite low 
But actually, when I do go online, I have said this to the team before, once I do go online and see everybody, it actually keeps me motivated that I'm doing a good thing. And yeah, I look forward to the following day where I can uh, train you again and and, uh, hopefully put a smile on a few faces. And so, Angina, tell me about the reopening of the new shop. How does that feel, having customers coming in again? Oh, it feels it feels so good to be back in our shop and in the same location and just to see people walking by, looking in, looking again, having a double take. So um, that's been, it's been great. And we've had a warm welcome. We've had flowers, chocolates, champagne, cards. We're very much a part of the community here in Mill Road and... I think this this has certainly made us feel more so. I think um, we've had lots of well wishes and it's been lovely, really lovely. And how about you, Dawn? How can people support the gym when you start to reopen again? Well, we're obviously, you know, waiting for the announcement of when we can reopen the doors and we'll be doing um, opening offers as well to help try and get some a little bit of interest when we do open. Grants that we've managed to receive from the government it's um, something that we've had to sit down and work out whether we pay off towards some debt or we invest. And we've made the biggest investment so far. And we've actually ordered a Fit 3D scanner, which is a body scanner. So it actually takes an image of your body and we can help you with your goals. So we're very excited to be launching that And just one last question for both of you. For people who are facing some sort of challenge and struggle in their business, what's one tip that you can pass on to help them stay motivated and stay resilient? I think really think about what your values are as a business, what it is that you want to achieve, and then stick to that and try and make that happen somehow. And don't be swayed or distracted. Stick to the plan. You've always had a plan. So if something comes in your way, you just have to try and find a way around it. The hurdles can be huge, like ours, but there is always a solution. It's just finding the solution and be confident in your abilities that you will find one. Yeah, I I would go back to your original plan and believe in your business. Even without a pandemic, all businesses are challenged. Um, Otherwise, everybody would be owning a business if it was easy. So, yeah, you're going to get some obstacles and like it's already been mentioned, you you just have to find a way around it. It's not easy, but you say believe in yourself and I'm sure you get around it. Dawn Lamb from Elite Fitness and Angina Tank from Tank Optometrists. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're listening to The Business of Cambridge brought to you by CMR. Now, Brexit. I asked John Bridge OBE, Chief Executive of the Cambridgeshire Chamber of Commerce, about the impact on companies in our area. I think that there's been real challenges in terms of the fact that uh, we did kind of convey very strongly to uh, government that they needed to make sure that they communicated effectively and did a deal in sufficient time for businesses to be able to plan effectively. And regretfully, that didn't happen. Um, To get a deal some 48 hours before the practical implementation of it is, is a real challenge for businesses. Most businesses sat back and thought, well, why do I need to do anything if the government hasn't got it sorted? When they get it sorted, I'll get it sorted. And that, of course, was the wrong thinking because there were many things that businesses should have been doing in order to prepare themselves for the challenges of a different trading relationship with Europe 
many of the aspects were going to be the same regardless of what the outcome was with the negotiations with the European Union. Yeah, I think a lot of businesses did put off trying to work out what the changes were they had to make um, internally because you had this feeling that, well, it's not sorted yet, so I'll I'll look up the details when it's actually finalised. But like you say, it was very, very 11th hour. So what are the challenges that you're seeing with local businesses in Cambridge? Have you got any examples of businesses that are affected at the moment? There are businesses that are affected and to some extent it does change the basis and the way that people can operate. You know, one example is uh, a market stall holder that sells cheese on Cambridge Market and other markets. His uh, mode of operandi was uh, actually going in his van across to France where he had good contacts, he could get good special deals and bring all the cheese back and be able to sell it and obviously provide customers with the variety and uh, at a very good price. That business model, unfortunately, doesn't exist anymore because he can no longer go across and pick up the goods because paperwork needs to be done in advance and you have to specify exactly what it is you're going to be bringing back, the amounts, uh, the values, and if you don't know that, then it's not possible to be able to do it. So unfortunately, he's now got to rethink. And partly, I think, that uh, we may well see over the coming weeks and months a different approach where wholesalers set up to actually bring things in to enable smaller businesses to be able to buy it in the UK and then not have the problems and difficulties that they will experience trying to bring it in themselves. Um, That's just one small example. Food going out of the UK is also a problem in terms of the fact that there are health hygiene certificates that have to go with those products. Those cost probably getting them through a veterinary surgeon about £160. We know some products that are only valued at £45-£50 that need one of those uh, certificates. Well, clearly that makes it not a profitable way to be able to operate and no one is going to pay uh, an exorbitant price for something because of the uh, bureaucracy that goes with enhancing the, the price of it. Are there any actions that businesses can be taking to try and ease this process? So even if they weren't fully prepared before Brexit came into force, that they could be doing now? Well, key thing is to really understand what we call the rules of origin. And I'm not going to try and go into any (laughs) technical detail, probably because I don't know it well enough myself. And I've got specialists that uh, work with me that do. But the key thing is that uh, the real problem that people have not recognised is how the rules of origin work. Previously, of course, we could sell all our products in the UK through to Europe without any problems, and they were all what they called of European Union origin, uh, whether they're in the UK or any other European country. And I think that the rule of thumb is that in order to have a proper origin of a product that can be tariff-free, at least 50% of it, or just over 50% of it, must have emanated from the UK and been produced in the UK or put together in the UK. What uh, people thought, of course, that uh, once uh, we got a deal, you'd be able to send your goods through tariff-free, as they said, it's a free trade agreement, not recognising that rules of origin make it very difficult. And the fact is that if the goods that you're putting across into Europe don't have a UK origin certificate, then there will be tariffs on them and also VAT payable. So an example is if you're a clothing company and you're buying in your clothes which are made in the Far East 
which come into the UK, you have to pay tariffs and VAT on them when you import them. But now, under the rules of origin, when you then sell them into the European Union, you'll have to pay a tariff and VAT again because not 50% of that product emanated from the UK. And uh, it gets more complicated with the different kinds of components that go in. And there are rules about what you need to do to products in order to make them of UK origin. Um, and we have got teams of specialists that can help support people with their own situation. So the real important thing is to really understand your product, how it's made up, where all the component parts come from, and uh, talk with uh, uh, certainly us at the, the Chambers of Commerce in Cambridge, where we have a whole international team of people who know and understand this and can help and make sure that you can continue to trade the way you need to and look at what actions you need to take to be able to not fall foul of uh, the rules of origin and ending up with additional costs of tariffs of VAT unnecessarily. So it feels like all of this is going to take a while to settle. And of course, the economy has already been hit by COVID. Just looking ahead to the future and thinking positively, I'm hoping you're going to have some good news for me here. But do you see a time when there's going to be a bit of a bounce back coming? It's really good news, in fact, that the uh, Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee in February has indicated that they feel that the economy is going to recover quite quickly after the first quarter, um, particularly because of the vaccination programme that's in place. And they are predicting that uh, we are, during the latter part of 2021, going to be getting back up to the levels of uh, GDP that uh, we'd previously experienced. And they do feel that... Um, there is positivity and businesses will be able to get back open again and uh, will be able to trade very effectively. And one of the key things is, particularly with households and consumers, they have actually managed to save considerably more money during this period, basically because all of us haven't been able to go out and spend it really anywhere or enjoy ourselves in the way that we wish to, of course. And that, they feel, will allow the marketplace to be quite buoyant in terms of the fact that people will having been pent up, they'll go out and uh, actually start to spend again and utilise some of their savings, which will in turn help businesses and help to drive the economy forward. That's a really nice positive note there, John. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show today. That's John Bridge, OBE, Chief Executive from the Cambridgeshire Chambers of Commerce. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our next episode, we're off to the pub as our guests from Cam's Cuisine and the Plough and Shepworth tell us about the impact of COVID on the hospitality sector, plus tips on cash flow from our resident expert on money. The Business of Cambridge was presented by Sue Keogh and brought to you in association with CMR, business advice for small companies. It's a TDC production for Cambridge 105 Radio. Thank you.